Welcome to Healthcare 2030. This program features conversations and interviews with respected healthcare industry experts discussing the latest topics regarding current issues today and the future of healthcare, innovation, and technology. To learn more about Oxio Health, head over to oxiohealth.io. That's www.oxiohealth.io. Now here's your host, Noel Guillama. Welcome to Healthcare 2030. Thank you for being with us. Uh, we hope to have a uh, great podcast today. I'd like to introduce my uh, partner, Carl Larson. Well, thank you, Noel, and uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Pleasure to be back, and uh, it's been a while. You, uh, you've lost some weight. I, uh, I, I gained weight. I lost weight. Uh, it's been nine weeks since we've been back in the office to record one of these podcasts, and it's been uh, certainly an interesting nine weeks. It's been scary at times. Uh, here in our offices, we started to open up the office uh, here in South Florida, and uh, we had a resurgence of uh, COVID, um, so we figured that it wasn't worth it. So we've been gone for literally nine weeks. We could have recorded it, obviously, as we've all done uh, in one of the great technologies, whether it was Zoom or go to meeting, but it was always better to do it, you know, sort of physically at the same time, at the same place, at the same location. So over those nine weeks, a lot of things have happened. That's right. Um, sadly, the number of people that have uh, contracted um, has continued to increase, even though the infection rate has dropped dramatically. Um, one of the things that we have seen uh, here in the United States is, uh, and we talked about this in the last podcast, was sort of the adoption of, of telemedicine. And uh, when I was uh, rehearing it this morning, um, I went back and, and sort of relived that conversation. Mm -hmm. um, and we talked about that telemedicine was not magic. Uh, we talked about that it was never going to be the same, but also there was a, almost like an irrational exuberance, certainly in, um, in May for sure and coming into June, as to the adoption of telemedicine. As of now, which is sort of the first week of September, um, there's been a number of companies that have raised collectively over of literally dozens of hundreds of thousands of dollars. Uh, hundreds of millions, millions I'm sorry, yes. uh, into this space. So ba ba basically the closest number is probably somewhere near a billion dollars yeah, have been raised in telemedicine. Yep. And you've had incredible reporting by the com public companies that are in this space of utilization. The, the sad news is uh, for them in the business model is that they're still not profitable. And we talked about last time right. about the economics of telemedicine. And we talked about sort of how, how the, the big opportunity in Medicare and insurance companies paying Mm -hmm. um, sort of the same rate for telemedicine as they did for office uh, visits. Well, even even that just did not even bring telemedicine to a break even. Right. So, which is which is the challenge because when you have a company that says that they reported an eight hundred percent increase in telemedicine visits and they're still losing money, um, you wonder the business model. Plus, yeah. Certainly, there are no they're not really startups when they're doing five, six, seven, eight hundred million dollars in revenue in healthcare. Those are those are stunning numbers, and if you can't make money on that in healthcare, then you have the wrong model. Mm -hmm. You could go faster, but you're you're not going to get any better. Right. Um, so that's a very interesting scenario. And as of now, which is the first week of September, we've realized that telemedicine has gone from was probably 70, 80 percent of all healthcare. Yeah. 
probably in April and May, uh, because uh, people could not visit their doctors, certainly in, in certain key areas, in Florida, in the Northeast, in California, certain parts of Texas, everything was shut down unless it was an emergency. Uh, the latest number that I read last night was about uh, the, the, the activity uh, had dropped by about 75%. So yeah. basically almost like 25% of healthcare was being provided in a grand scale using telemedicine and Zoom. I literally talked to one of our employees about an hour ago and they had visited literally with a doctor with Zoom uh, and, and, and was treated over, over telemedicine. Um, so that was great. Uh, I also said again that it was going to be much higher when we go back to whatever the normal is going to be. Um, and before COVID, telemedicine was about 5% of all uh, uh, office visits. Um, and I think I predicted that it would probably return yeah. at a much higher baseline. Um, the baseline, I think I said 10 or 15%. And I'm still sticking to the number. It's probably going to be 10 or 15%. When I've talked to doctors since our last uh, podcast, uh, one of the things that they have told me is that the visual part of telemedicine is mostly immaterial uh, to either the high end specialist. Mm -hmm. uh, or or the low end, let's call it primary care, uh, family practice, and so forth. And the reason for that is that they have gotten used to the telephone. And we talked about that before. Mm -hmm. I think I even talked about sort That's of right. Marcus Welby. So yeah. the telephone yeah. is, is A, the, the patient can, com can communicate with uh, the doctor very well. The doctors have gotten used to hearing the voice and their interaction and things like that. Um, and one of the things that the doctor told me is that what he's thinking uh, especially for people that are not used to doing that, sort of whether it's FaceTime or, or, uh, or Zoom or WhatsApp, that, that the patient is a little nervous with the video interaction. Uh, because even though they may feel more comfortable talk, seeing the doctor and talking to the doctor, they're also self-conscious about where, where they are, how they are, mm -hmm. how they're dressed, how do they look. Right. So it's kind of a weird thing. Right. How do but, they appear on the camera? Right. right. So w without question, and I said this last time, I'll say it today, and I'm, I'll say it forever is that telemedicine um, is going to be an incredibly valuable tool. And we talked about also the the interaction of telemedicine with the EMR, right, electronic right. healthcare record, right. and the continuation of care. Uh, and we also talked about the value of um, telemedicine in a pay-for-performance uh, or value-based care or shared risk environment, where it's a tremendous tool, mm -hmm. just like the phone was, but maybe a little bit better. Um, and then when you add, which is I think what we sort of left off, uh, the IoT components right. uh, is fascinating. And I think <clears> I, <throat> I predicted that you know the, the homes were going to get smarter, and that was going to have an impact, um, even to the detriment of some friends that I have, in mm -hmm. the in the long term care, whether it's it, it's it's assisted living, um, independent living, um, or or even nursing home. I think all of those are going to be changed, as well as we talked about. I think one of the comments we talked about was uh, the uh, home-based uh, uh, ICU. So right, I was going to say hospital. So. Yeah, I mean the whole the, the whole recovery process. You know, I think we mentioned uh, you know what what hospitals do now the step-down units. Yeah, uh, where we can now instead of having a step-down unit, we can send those people back home. You know, the other the other aspect in in IoT sort of as an adjunct are things like predictive medicine and artificial intelligence that can be added to uh, this, the IoT and 
telemedicine to really, really augment significantly what the physician sees. But it's still, where's the touch? Right. Where's well, uh, one of the things that, that, that we talked a little bit, and I, I, was, I laughed when I was thinking about it, is I talked about how we had been collecting data in healthcare. Right. And I'm not yeah. a caregiver, but I've been a practice administrator uh, since the beginning of healthcare. Uh, we just never called it data. We called it information. Mm. We called it, uh, we called it, uh, you know, uh, uh, all kinds of patient conditions, uh, diagnosis, all those things, all, all those conditions, you know, all the data really is what we would today call data. Now we have the ability to aggregate it, to process it. And the thing that, that, that I, one of the things that I'm most excited about and one of the things that we worked on some of our patents with was what we would then basically rebrand the smart home. And we used to talk about smart yeah. homes. It was, uh, you know, smartphones and smart refrigerators. But the new smart home is, is a home that has a lot of sensors that can help you, not only monitoring the quality of the air, for example, certainly a COVID issue, but also your own um, biometrics, your, your own mm -hmm. information. Mm -hmm. I know we talked about NASA. That is becoming a huge thing, more so uh, on, see, 60 days, you know, we talked about 60 days ago, because people have now been at homes in certain parts of the country for six months. Right. So they realize that uh, they've adapted to everything. They've adapted their offices back to the way their kid, the kids uh, go to school and everything else. Now they're saying, well, you know, how can we monitor ourselves? And I think this trend is just the beginning of that trend. Yeah. So I think that along with sort of pushing that, that distant care, which is more than telemedicine, that distant care where oh, a doctor far more. Yes. Is, is able to interact with the patient um, is gonna be, it will continue to accelerate. And the same thing as we talked about hospitals is I, I, I predicted in the last one that I think that 25% of the medical office space is obsolete. Um, it's in the wrong place. Uh, it's in the wrong environment. It's a long utilization. Uh, and, and forget about sort of social distancing, which, you know, we'd be for a while. But the idea, I think, psychologically, even even after COVID has passed, whether whether we, it disappears, whether we have a vaccine or some kind of mitigation, I don't think people are going to be comfortable walking into a waiting room with 30 people in it. I just can't see that. I certainly yeah. don't no. want to do it. Um, and I think you're going to have, we talked a little bit about, you know, sort of just in time uh, of seeing the patient. And I can tell you running medical offices, I remember we had a medical practice that had six doctors in Miami Beach. And we had uh, we had a waiting room of about 70 people. And now I think about it, and I was not happy about the, the, the what I call the throughput, the ability to see a patient and come through. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember having a Carl was the most amazing conversation I had with the doctors because they wanted me, it was our company, where they wanted me to build a, an addition to the clinic and add a second floor. It was in a, it was in a retail, it was, on, it was an out parcel <laughs> in a mall and great location. And they said that we needed to add another, another, another floor. And I said, <laughs> well, what are you talking about? And I looked at the volume, I looked at the activity, and what I found out, and this is this has been traumatic for me, um, is to understand the utilization of real estate in healthcare. And what happened was, and, and my best friends are doctors, and I talk to them literally every week, is the, the, the way the doctor's practices are run. 
Yeah. Um, the doctor in the old days used to do, you know, hospital visits in the morning. Right. Right. Go to the office mid mid morning, late morning, see a bunch of patients into the afternoon, maybe have a quick dinner and then maybe see some patients either back at the hospital or do some home home visits. You know, that was sort of the, the old model. Right. Um, so what happened is and, and we did an incredible survey about this, about all the patient activities and so forth. And I said, I want to see all the data logs. I want to see all the billing logs. I want to see all the personnel logs. Um, and what we determined was that even though we had six doctors, they were all following sort of the same pattern. Okay, the office opened at eight, 7 or 7.30, 8 o'clock. The doctors would show up at, at around 8.30, okay? So the patient, the idea was that the patient would already sort of be triaged, right? They'd take the exactly. blood pressure, the blood, and they'd be waiting in the waiting room. The doctor would come in, and usually had two people in the waiting room because we, I think we had twelve or fourteen waiting rooms. I mean, uh, treatment rooms. So each doctor, what the minute they walked in, let's call it eight thirty, they would already have two or three patients that were ready to be seen. Right. And he would go out there, and it would go that way. Um, and then what happened, uh, Carl? And, and we did this. We documented it hard, you know, with ledger paper. Um, the doctors would basically most of the time have lunch uh, outside. Okay, they rarely have it in the in the clinic. It was a big clinic. Uh, and they would leave the office for about 90 minutes. It was yeah. not crazy time, but they'd leave for about 90 minutes. Yeah, the office would shut down. The office was sort of shut down yeah. because we had enough employees and the way they, mm -hmm. they were scheduled. So the office would still be open. And what happened is they would mostly see the patients, obviously, that before they went out to lunch. And then there would be a break in the calendar for almost two hours. And, and, and the base staff is sort of there because mm -hmm. they're taking 30 minutes, 45 minutes, even an hour. Many of them ate, brought their their own lunch, so they would eat there on the spot, because you know they it's just the the, the lifestyle that they had. Um, and then the doctors would show up around two o'clock. The, the waiting room would be packed, packed. Okay, and then I can tell you a couple of times I would walk into there into that 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 particular clinic because it was our, our flagship, and and the patients weren't. I would sit there and the patients weren't moving. I could see them not moving through the mm -hmm. door. Right. And what I found out is that on many days, the the uh, pharmaceutical reps would show up. And sometimes they would sure. bring lunch, which is kind of sort of sh made it better and made it worse. Because mm -hmm. if they brought lunch, then the, the staff and the doctors That's would feel that they had to spend some time right. with them. Right. So they go out there pitching their, their, their pharmaceuticals. And all of a sudden, the waiting room is packed. People are standing in a waiting room that had 60 seats. And the doctor's then sort of starts kicking in. And then, then then he's rushing, he or she is rushing to see a bunch of patients and they're spending the average time the physician spends in, in, with a patient today is about seven and a half minutes. And sadly, they spent another five or six minutes trying to document it in the EHR or and or for the billing purposes, okay? Um, in a managed care environment, it's a little different. Uh, the documentation isn't super important, but it's different. Um, and then the doctors would work till about six o'clock, and they'd see the patient. And, and so when you calculate it, they were seeing, I remember the number being like 20, 21 patients a day, um, which is not bad, okay? But we had a huge facility with a huge amount of patients. So what happened is that they said, we need to see, we need to have more waiting room. We don't need more doctors. We don't need more treatment rooms. We need more, I'm sorry, we need more, more, uh, you know, operating room. Right. Okay, um, because because they were blaming the problem on, on they didn't have enough room in, in the reception area, 
And let me tell you something. When we did the analysis, it took us about a month to do it. We realized that we had this problem with the doctors going online and offline effectively. Think about it assembly line. Yeah. And it's not to, you know, degrade the quality of care, but what happened is everything about everybody was at the same time and was shutting down. So what we did is we implemented a policy that the first doctor of the six doctors, and by the way, they could figure they were all competent, they were all same quality. Mm -hmm. They could figure out which one they could rotate, but I wanted a doctor in the office by seven thirty in the morning. Okay, right. and I wanted a doctor there by seven o'clock, or a doctor there until seven o'clock at night. Okay, mm -hmm. and what they did, and I says, and there can only be, and we we did the sort of did, we met with the medical director, and we basically realized that there had to be out of the six doctors had to be two in the facility at any one time. So then they rotated their lunches and breaks and things like that. So there was constantly two doctors for about twelve hours, watch, you know, interacting with patients. The ones that got in early left at three o'clock. The ones that came in late left at seven, more or less. So what happened is it was shocking. You know what happened is we increased the the productivity of that facility without hiring one more employee or one more doctor by fifty percent. Oh sure. Sure. And that's when I realized, and it sort of never hit me, because in the past, we had gone in and redesigned offices that was more practical. Because what happened is they'd come in, take the patient's weight here, then they bring the patient back out to the waiting room, and then they do the blood work, and then bring them back out. And you had these, this incredibly um, cumbersome, inefficient Cumbersome system. process. Right. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm, thinking about, I'm thinking about Henry Ford. I'm like... I. You know, if you think about the patient as a product, and I, I don't, and I mean that in a complimentary way, then you're thinking about how do we move it through an assembly line? All right. How do you go right. from, from station one to station two to station three to station four? So what we did is we basically redesigned the office as it was practical, okay? Mm -hmm. So the, 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 the intake room, okay, the vitals room, um, all the laboratory, all of those were connected, so the patient would come in from one and go through the cycle. And eventually, sure. sure, they would go to the patient, the doctor's, you know, waiting room. Usually, the doctors had three waiting rooms, two to three doc per doctor, because they had one they were they were they had just finished treating, it was coming out. You had one that was treating, they were treating, and one that was you know waiting. Right. So that's we started to operate that, and I can tell you the facility. Increased productivity by fifty percent, and uh, we never measured it because we didn't have the data to, uh, to do it that way. But I can tell you the customer satisfaction was through the roof because it was no longer the fully you or full full capacity waiting room. And as a matter of fact, our waiting room probably operated at about forty fifty percent of capacity, which made it better. Mm -hmm. And by the way, it also we also provided transportation, so the transportation was also key. Because what happened is you didn't have a bus of 12 people that you had to both pick up 12 people and then deliver 12 people. Our bus was much more consistent. In retrospect, it's probably sounded a little bit more like Disney World and the buses of Disney World. So it was constantly flowing. So you had four or five people in the bus at any one time, but they were also spending less time on the bus and less time, less time waiting. Right. So... Um, no question about it that our our quality was better because we had consistent quality. Uh, our our throughput was better. The patient interaction was better. The employees was better because let me tell you what those two hours, more or less around lunchtime, the doctors were not there. 
the staff wasn't doing a lot. But right. then, they, then they had to go on hyperdrive right. and literally pushing patient through. And again, even not being a physician, I got to think that when the doctor could spend more time because they're not trying to rush it through, which they did spend more time, then you had to have better quality outcomes. We did. I think it's, you know, to go back to your analogy of the assembly line, I mean, originally it was like you start with a chassis moving down the assembly line, then you take take the chassis off the assembly line and then and then put it on another assembly line to put on the axle and then take that off and that assembly line, move it to another one to drop the engine in and so on. And it that's just so incredibly inefficient. So your process re-engineering benefited not only in terms of revenue, but it, in it, it, customer satisfaction, patient satisfaction notwithstanding, I'm sure the doctors even had to feel better about themselves because they knew they were giving better care. Well, one of the things that I've talked about to a couple of universities is that we, we don't have them enough engineers in healthcare, process engineers. Right. And, and literally, how does it work? Why does it work? Sort of the equivalent of industrial engineers well, for healthcare. Exactly. Um, right. and, and, and every time I've looked at, at problems, um, a lot of it is in the process. For example, we talked about, you know, the primary care physician, which we know, and, and this is one of the fact, the things that we've known now in the last 60 days, is that they are under incredible financial and operational stress. Right. Because even though we talked about in the last podcast that they're now getting the same reimbursement from it for a telemedicine visit versus an office visit. For now. For now, and that's not going to last no. very long. No, is but they're also not only covering their own overhead, which financially is a problem, um, but it's also limiting the the productivity that they have. The, the average doctor, uh, primary care doctor, has about a two thousand square foot office. Um, they have usually two to three thousand patients in their in their file room, and they see between twenty five and thirty five patients, depending on where they're at. I'm talking about cities, okay? So rural is going to be dramatically different. And they have 2.7 employees, um, and they pay about, at least again in cities, about $4,000 a month. So what happens is now you have a problem with financial pressures that has been put on by Medicare reimbursement over the last two decades, managed care reimbursement uh, on a fee-for-service environment that has yep. been putting downward pressure. Yeah, we've talked about you know managed care and capitation and all that a few a few podcasts ago. The doctors are getting tremendous pressure. Um, effectively, healthcare reimbursement has been dropping, uh, adjusted for inflation, even as low as inflation has been, for literally twenty years. And they've and they've had nowhere to make it up except inefficiency of operation. Well more and, vo- yeah, I mean I mean they're doing more they have to do more volume. Well okay? it's which a, is you, making you either do more volume right. or you increase efficiency. And if you can do both they, they but, can't but, but they can't. They can't do the second part. The no. efficiency is really difficult. So one of the things that we talked about and, and when when we said that 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 we had too many medical office buildings and we had too much space is that we are confident that the future is going to require a couple of things for the doctors, the primary care doctors, that's internal medicine, um, so certainly could be OBGYNs and even some cardiology or sort of primary care, um, rheumatology, uh, those things are sort of in the, what I call expanded primary care. Yeah, but you get up against a limit with those. Yeah, yeah so you're gonna have to require, these doctors are gonna have to get together <laughs> and they're gonna have to merge their practices they can be bought by their hospitals, but from what I'm getting, uh, 
a lot of the doctors that chose that path regret it. Yeah. You can be acquired by managed care companies. Um, I know that for a fact. Two large ones uh, have pretty large group practices of hundreds of doctors in hundreds of locations. Um, and that's more of a corporate practice of medicine. Mm -hmm. And that's not a bad thing. It's a good thing for the patient, good security for the doctor. In some cases, it might even help with you know school loans if they're young doctors um, um, you know, through medical school and so forth. But th there is no question that that doctor uh, is going to be an endangered species as he is in today. And right. what I suspect right. is going to happen if you're going to have a consolidation of physician practices, which has happened four or five times in the last in the 30 years that I've been in healthcare. And I think you're going to move outside of the hospitals, uh, MOBs that we talked about last time, because I think the hospitals are going to also contract in size. Right. We, we have way too many beds in the United States. They're not always in the right spot, okay? Many of them are in, in, inside the cities where they need to be more in the suburbs. And now it'll be even more interesting as it seems like we're at the beginning of a trend yeah, of, population, of, of, of population movement mm -hmm. of the people that can move, that want to move. I know it's happening in, you know, in, in, in the greater New York area where people are leaving the city and going to the suburbs. Well, they're coming so, to Florida. And some are coming <laughs> to Florida. But, you know, they've been coming to Florida since, you know, Ponce de Leon. Um, so that's going to change a lot. And you're going to have those doctors are going to have to make decisions uh, along with technology. Technology is going to be a big play. Now, it, it used to be that we talked about technology in healthcare. Forget about devices. It's a separate issue. The, the real technology, big technology was, uh, originally was a fax machine. We've yeah. talked about that in the past. But yeah. modern, we talk about the EMR, the EHR, and things like that. But now the technology is much is expanding exponentially uh, that now definitely aggregates telemedicine and now it aggregates, you know, IOT devices. Right. Well, don't you think that I, 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 let me go back. Let's go back to the facts. I mean, it, we, we went from the facts to the pager to the cell phone and then to the early stage of the EMR. And there, there seemed to be a lot of reluctance on the part of the physicians to adopt that technology. But it almost seems that that's reversed now. And physicians are actually calling for and pulling for technology because they're beginning to recognize that there's 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 value in that in that technology to really help them both in their practice but also and in terms of quality of, of care but also in terms of being able to monetize their time better well i've talked about the doctor's adoptive adoption of technology a yeah, few times we've, we've and, 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 and you know the, the examples that i've liked to use in the past was literally the fax machine that we talked about mm -hmm. doctors adopted that instantly um the pager yeah okay when I was a kid, only doctors had pagers. That's right. Kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. I remember the first time I got a pager, I thought it was kind of cool. Um, and then and then cell phones, because that allowed the doctors to not just leave their the phone number of the movie theater or things like that with their with. Remember when they had uh, <laughs> yeah. when they had uh, answering services, right? Right. Right. So doctors love technology that makes their life better. Right. They have not had that with the EHR. i got to tell no, you that. I've no, seen it. I lived it. We built the one. It's not been... It, it, it has Because it was a mandate, it made it very difficult because it wasn't a natural development. Mm -hmm. uh, and was I think it, that's a problem. And right, I think that's it wasn't a organic. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So in technology, they realize that technology is very valuable and they're using it personally. Okay? Like I know doctors that would use, you know, um, 
video conferencing, you know, or video connection to their friends, but really were not liking the idea of telemedicine. So now they've been forced to using it. Right. Now everyone is talking about sort of these smart devices. And now we're talking about smart homes. Literally, contractors are now building homes that have sensors and everything from the floors um, to temperature to water. I mean, you, you, I don't want to you know, talk too much about it, but they, they have smart toilets now, okay, that literally can measure all kinds of things, including BMI, body mass index, and, uh, and can, you know, are like one step away from having, you know, total um, uh, pathologic or pathology of, of the discharges, let's call it. So doctors want to use technology. Here's the problem with doctors and technology. Threefolds. A, technology is expensive, and they are under financial pressures right. that, that, make, that makes it difficult. Okay, redesigning an office, which is what they should be doing right now, is incredibly expensive. Redesigning an office for telemedicine is expensive. It's not just a laptop. Mm-hmm. And it's certainly not a laptop when you're bringing an IoT device. And it's not just an EHR. Um, the second thing is is training. Okay, doctors need the training. They're usually being sat down, and here's the training, here's the process. So they have to be continuously trained on the technology. So when there's a problem, they can't wait three three days or three weeks to get information. So they're going to need somebody literally on call. Uh, on the use of technology, whether yeah. whether it's literally their laptop or desktop or their firewall or, or, or how to use telemedicine. So that's a very big deal. And then the third thing is related, which is their staff. Yeah. Doctors depend on their staff to do the, the sort of the heavy lifting, the, the literally because they're yeah. using much more of their intellectual skills um, so than everything else. Patient I, I, intake. I don't right? remember... I don't remember the last time a doctor took my blood pressure when I had a physical. It was always a staff member. Certainly draw blood. They can do all those things, obviously, but their right. time is much more valuable in doing the critical thinking for the patient. And that's that's really fundamental. Um, so technology is going to play an incredibly important role. COVID basically brought it into the front and center, even though it had been there, as, as we said last time. You know, telemedicine was about 5% of all encounters in the United States. Right. It's now around 25%. I think it will level out at probably 10 to 15, depending right. on the circumstances. Okay. I mean, the COVID forced the issue of telemedicine because uh, without telemedicine, there were many physicians that were not going to get any revenue at all. Right. Not. No, and, and it's uh, it's a great opportunity. But one of the things that we talk about telemedicine is there, there are three things that compose how Medicare and, and generally everybody follows Medicare, uh, pays a doctor. Three, there's sort of three components. Right. The number one component is sort of the, what I call sort of that, that intellectual brain trust. How much thinking, how much process does a doctor have to do? Okay? Sort of the, the, the intensity of, of, of his decision making. Mm-hmm. The second one is time. Is it taking five minutes? Is it a brief encounter? Or is it an extended encounter? That's why doctors generally, if we ever see a, an EOB, an explanation of benefits, right. you'll see a brief, an intermediate, a extended or 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 initial kind of intake. Right. And they're paid completely different. And obviously, there's tons of modifiers beyond that, so it's not that simple. Um, so that's the second thing: is time. Is it is it, is it literally a five minute encounter or a thir- twenty five minute encounter? And the third component, which is really important, really really important is the cost of being in business in that location. Mm -hmm. That's why a doctor 
in New York City, Manhattan, gets paid dramatically more than a doctor in... in Belgolade, for instance. It, well, or... most people won't know where Belgolade is. <laughs> but let's talk about uh, Omaha, well, Nebraska. Yeah. Even as big a city as Omaha is in Omaha, Nebraska. Very sure. big different cost of cost right, right. of a practice. Right, the, the okay, MOB so that, cost is much different. Right, so they're right, looking right. at real cost of the practice, and they look at this fixed cost, real variables. estate prices. Right. Okay, what does it cost per square foot? What does it cost to to equip the practice? Uh, is important. Right. Um, and then the cost sort of, of labor for, for personnel their... cost. Right. Mm -hmm. So personnel cost. Right. The labor difference, which are related between New York City and Omaha, Nebraska is dramatically different, or oh. L.A., or Miami. They're all different. That's why the federal government in Medicare has a different pay scale for every county in the United States. Okay? And I think I read somewhere it's like between two and 3,000 counties. So every county has a different pay scale because it, it, it is based on the cost of the practice. That, that The third qualifier, the, the first and two, First, the first one and the second one are sort of fixed, okay? If it takes right. 10 minutes in New York, it's not going to take 11 minutes in Miami, Florida. Right. Okay? It's right. going to take about the same. The right. big variable is that third bucket, which is the cost of, of, of operations. That is real estate, that is facility, personnel, et cetera. And there's That's very, a big variable. And there's very little that a, that a doctor can do to change any of those three. Well, no, you can't do anything. No, I mean, it, it's very all little. you can do is code it, you know, which is basically write the number. And and one of the challenges that that, for example, EMR has uh, for doctors is you could you could take a, a a brief office visit, okay, which is like five to ten minutes, and you could write twenty pages worth, twenty minutes worth of notes, mm -hmm. because you can't cut and paste in most platforms. Yeah. So you cut and paste it, and you have all these notes, and that's one of the challenges you have. So we talked about another blog where you sort of get buried in information. But let's assume the doctor codes it, okay, as a brief office visit between five. It's basically five and ten minutes. That's it. It doesn't matter where no. whether it's New York. It, it's not the time that it took him to drive to work. That doesn't count. Okay. So if the doctor lives above his office like the old days, it do, that there's no that doesn't count, okay. Um, if he has to travel two hours to commute to work, it doesn't count. Okay, it may count in that third part, which is sort of the the cost of, of managing a practice, but it doesn't count for first and two, right? Because it's still sort of the same intellectual experience and the same time, right? Yeah, yeah, and that puts that puts a doctor right up against right up against the wall. So, so it's very 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 little for them to uh, to maneuver. Right. So the 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 the, the future is going to be as we've talked about, and we will continue talking about, is sort of technology-infused care. care right. But along with that technology-infused care is also a rehabilitation, a remodel, a completely restructure of the physical space that the care is given. Uh, so you're going to see a lot smaller waiting rooms um, because the patients now have been used to. Now when you go to a doctor's office, they usually say, we'll text you. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. well, we're ready for you. Well, in the meantime, ready. wait in your car. Now, think about what that's done. That has now changed the psychology of a patient to say, <laughs> why do I need to wait 40 minutes there in the, in, in the waiting room? Well, the second one is that they're not going to be waiting 40 minutes in their cars. The next thing is going to be, give me 15 minutes warning, and I'll be there. I'm going to go shopping, or I'm going to go do groceries, uh, right. or whatever I need to do, and I will be there within 15 that's minutes, right. and I want to walk right through. 
and be seen by the patient. Right. Come on. I mean, you remember? You remember? Do you remember? And hopefully, our our, our 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 listeners know what I'm talking about. But do you remember when the 15 minute oil chain was created? Tell oh, me yeah. that was not like the coolest thing. Yeah. Right. You didn't Did you, have to leave your car at yeah. the mechanic. Forget about the, the dealer, and then come back two or three hours later. You literally sat in your car. You 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 know you used your BlackBerry at the time or whatever you had, mm-hmm. or you read a book or whatever it is, and you le- you did not leave in your car and you were out the door fifteen well, yeah. minutes later. We're talking something a little bit you know in 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 my in my lane something a little bit more like uh, uh, air traffic control. They give right. you three minutes plus or minus to get to a waypoint and that's it. Right. And so it, what it, I think is going to happen is you're gonna you're going to change the way the physical offices and you can't retrofit. The MOBs. That's why I told about the 25% right. obsolete. So you're going to have offices that are going to be designed for that type of throughput. So the patients that you have, instead of uh, instead of 60 patients that we had in our office in Miami Beach, you may have 10 to 15, which reduce it by 75%. Right. They're going to be waiting in that in that holding pattern to talk about if you know air traffic right. for only two, three, four minutes. Mm-hmm. Okay while they're let through and then they go into the system and get processed. Right. And then they're out paying out the door. So you're gonna have that constant flow, which by the way, will make a practice materially more effective. And the the interaction with the patient is gonna be improved dramatically. Well, don't you think too, that we're gonna see a little more of what we've talked about, a de- decentralized or, or more distributive uh, medical practice where you've got more facilities, but fewer doctors in in each one of those in each one of those locations, and the ability of the doctor to move from one location to another. Well, not yes, absolutely, but it's gonna it's gonna go even bigger because right. when you take that dynamic, okay, physical location, and you throw in the dynamics of of physician extenders, nurse practitioners, yes, uh, and so forth, and yes. you take the dynamics right. of telemedicine and the dynamics of IOT, right. uh, it literally is going to look like an air traffic controller mm-hmm. uh, and, and literally, you know, you know, on the taxiway, taking off, you know, in flight, right. uh, then you're going to be on approach, landing, taxi, gate. You know, that, that flow that happens in the example that you, just, you know, we stumbled onto of air traffic control is what's going to happen so that the doctor uh, is going to blur his interaction with patients from a physical space to a to a to a telemedicine space, right. and the same thing with his with his nurse practitioner and even his nurses, and the interaction with the patient. So, I'm seeing doctors, and I'm talking to doctors right now um, about joining one of our practices. Mm-hmm. is is about having literally in in the agreement that they're going to serve certain amount of time in the office space and certain amount of time in telemedicine space. Mm-hmm. Because one of the values that that brings to you, which is a major problem in telemedicine. It's not only the medical record that we talked about, right. but also the familiarity between the doctor and the patient. The value of the same it's, doctor seeing huge. the patient both physically and telemedicine is dramatic. Yeah, right. It's dramatic for the men- mental uh, uh, condition and the familiarity between the patient and the doctor and the doctor and the patient. Right. It's it's patient comfort and doctor comfort, really. Exactly. Yes. So it, that's going to be a great opportunity. So it's not going to be that you're going to have doctors that are only going to be telemedicine doctor. I think it's a, that's a problem. Or, or you're only have doctors that are only going to see patients in an office. It's a little bit like what we're what we're yes. seeing in, 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 in education. is Now it's becoming a hybrid model. Okay? 
And then, you know what I've been, hybrid model meaning some mm -hmm. universities and schools have partially open uh, on site and are also partially online. Yeah. And some are talking about bringing students in for a few days and then, you know, tele, you know, uh, telecommunicating for a few other days. So what I'm tired to see, uh, Carl, and I think the future of healthcare is a term that's been applied to many other things, but I've not really heard it used in healthcare, which is sort of more of an omnicare. Okay, which is really almost a universal care between physical, uh, virtual, okay, mm -hmm. or remote care and connected care. All of those things are going to be are, are literally blurring together. Right, they're merging before before our eyes. Yeah, they are, and that is definitely the future. I think, you know, it's a, probably a good place to wrap. And uh, I, I think we've covered a lot of ground. I, I, you know, want to say that this has been very uh, been very useful very informative i've i've enjoyed this because we're we're really getting down now to defining where healthcare is going for the future i i, I and think it's, it's exciting i i agree with you i am excited I, I i love being in this space uh in 32 years I, I i think i'm more excited today than at the beginning because now i understand what the problems are and i see a path towards a solution so right. uh, i want to thank everyone uh who's been listening to us today this is our episode 16th of Healthcare 2030. Um, we hope uh, you have found it informative. Uh, we've had a lot of fun uh, doing these last 16 podcasts, and we will continue to do them as long as uh, people are listening to them. Thank you very much. Yes. Be well. Until next time. Thank you for listening to our podcast. To learn more about our company, please check out our website at oxiohealth.io. That's www.oxiohealth.io.